This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the May Rip, the Middle East Report studio in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Bernie Sanders dropping his Medicare for All bill today. Couldn't help but notice standing right next to him. Uh, one of his rivals in the primary here, someone who's also running for president, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. Gillibrand, who endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016. Hillary Clinton, of course, uh, ran on a uh, campaign of saying that Medicare for all single payer will never, ever happen. And uh, now we've got one of her surrogates standing next to Bernie, even while she's running against Bernie for president, accepting the fact that single payer, uh, I'm not going to say will indeed happen if we if we fight for it. It will indeed happen. It's no longer impossible. It's actually uh, the the most feasible health care plan out there right now. In fact, it's on the table, folks. It is on the table. Also on the table. And this is important because uh, a few days ago, Bernie said he wasn't for getting rid of the filibuster, which is stupid for so many reasons we've discussed on the show before. Today, he said he would get rid of the filibuster for single payer. Good. Which would effectively be the end of the legislative filibuster as we know it. But he he at least... uh, isn't so naive there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was just kind of a a stupid play by Bernie to allow himself to be the norms and institutions guy uh, in the primary, considering his entire agenda can only be moved if you get rid of the filibuster at this point, the way the the Senate works. Um, Win or lose, whatever happens, and I hope Bernie wins, uh, just the fact that this is being introduced, and a lot of his rivals now sign on to this Medicare for All bill. Clintonism is dead. It's defeated. Hillary Clinton might think she's going to be some kingmaker in this primary, that the candidates are going to go and kiss the ring, go have their meeting with Clinton or whatever during the primary. But nah, she's not going to be influential at all this time around. Hopefully not. All right. We uh, we managed to put together a news report despite how many how much fucking soccer has been on TV for the last few days. <laughs> Jesus Christ, there's been like no breaks of just soccer soccer entertainment the last few days. We've had Champions League Monday. We had some more Premier League. We've got Premier League coming up on Friday. Good thing we have a, a break tomorrow. <laughs> we do do the news, but uh, we turn off cable news in the background and put on the soccer matches, which can be a bit more distracting. We tend to be able to zone out when cable news is on. All right. It's no, nothing further to add there, huh? Uh, I've, no, outed, I, I've, I've outed ourselves as having fun during the day and watching soccer. I Well, I, I was going to add that uh, Kamala Harris is also a co-sponsor of the yeah. Medicare for All bill. Again, she was. I think Cory uh, Booker is too. Cory Booker is too. So it's not just Gillibrand. No, but she was the only one there who was at the event. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I, I just want to reiterate the point of of Clintonism failing. Yeah. <laughs> Completely dead. Kaput. All right. It is Wednesday, April tenth, twenty nineteen. Here's the news. 
CEOs of the country's largest banks, except Wells Fargo, testified today before the House Financial Services Committee. Here was J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon on socialism. I acknowledge that people have been left behind and that we need a properly regulated free market capitalism system. But socialism, if you mean by socialism, the government owns the companies and controls them. That will inevitably lead to corruption. So you have a poster boy of too big to fail, too big to jail, uh, because obviously uh, there was tons of reporting over the past few years how, uh, how the U.S. attorneys in Sacramento were going to go forward with criminal charges against J.P. Morgan. They didn't. No. You have this poster boy. And uh, so thanks for the free ad for socialism. Yeah. Jamie Dimon. Who asked him anyways about, did he, was he asked about socialism yeah, or was he just was, bringing uh, this up on his own? No, no, no. It was a Republican member. I can't remember oh. who it was. Dimon's problem with socialism might stem from a well-documented problem on Wall Street, a lack of empathy. Here he was responding to Rashida Tlaib, who was asking all the CEOs on the panel about the threat of climate change to financial markets. I would say not directly to the financial system, mm -hmm. but I think climate change is real and we should be taking action immediately to do something about it. And most of it's going to have to be legislation. If we don't have a, if we don't have a planet, we're not going to have a very good financial system. <laughs> that was Morgan Stanley CEO James <laughs> Gorman at the end there who was actually able to answer the softball question. <laughs> That's actually an improvement from some free market dipshits who probably think the market exists outside the planet as some... <laughs> abstract concept yeah that's that's not bad uh diamond well uh, obviously you have elon musk and his his space obsession i bet elon musk definitely thinks that you don't need planet earth to have markets or something the, something the uh, photographed black hole run by markets folks <laughs> Diamond wasn't totally wrong, though, in uh, refusing to describe climate change as a threat to financial markets. Financial markets themselves are basically threatening the planet, along with climate change, as Rashida Tlaib noted shortly after, in criticizing banks who claim that they are concerned about carbon emissions when their actions speak louder than their words. Uh, Mr. Diamond, your bank alone has provided more than $195 billion in fossil fuel lending and underwriting over the past three years since signing of the Paris Climate Agreement, making your bank the number one funder of fossil fuels in the world. Hmm. Hard to get around that fact. <laughs> in what was almost certainly a jab at the Green New Deal, Diamond intoned that solving climate change... That means you need financial market makers and uh, dipshits like him. What a surprise. But if you want to fix this problem, you are going to have to do something like a carbon tax less carbon dividend. If the U.S. wanted to get to the moon by taxing other forms of transport, we'd uh, have never gotten to the moon. Unless you happen to believe that... We never actually went to the moon, and uh, I don't know if we want to offend our moon landing truther listeners. No, or get punched in the face by Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> that clip is amazing. Anyway, uh, when we interviewed Tlaib, she said she wouldn't rule out nationalizing fossil fuel companies to solve climate change. We're, we're going to have to nationalize banks, too. Yeah. Obviously. Everything. <laughs> 
We're often shitting on House Democrats, like yesterday when they passed a giveaway to for-profit tax filing companies like TurboTax, but today they passed something good, so we should highlight it. In a 232 to 190 vote, Democrats, with the help of just one Republican, passed the Save the Internet Act, which would reverse the Federal Communication Commission's repeal of net neutrality rules in 2017. You might remember these were regulations worked out during the Obama administration by the FCC to ensure a free and open Internet by prohibiting throttling and walling off content by Internet service providers. Well, those regulations were repealed as soon as Republican Ajit Pai became the chairman of the FCC after Trump was elected president. Now, this isn't just an act of futility by the House, as so many things are, given that the Senate is under the control of Mitch McConnell. That's because the Senate actually passed a similar measure last year when three Republicans joined with Democrats to push it across the line. That time, though, the House was still controlled by Republicans, so the bill went nowhere. The real hurdle now is in the White House. This week, the Trump administration announced it would veto the legislation if it does pass out of the Senate. So far, supporters of net neutrality do not have the votes to override a veto. Attorney General William Barr testified today before a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee. When pressed about the federal ban on marijuana, Barr said Congress should repeal it. Personally, I would still favor one uniform federal rule against marijuana, Barr noted at the onset, like a shithead. But if I mean, there, he essentially <laughs> does have that. There is one uniform federal law. It's just a bunch of states are no longer recognizing right, and passing right. their own laws. Yeah. He continued, if there is not sufficient consensus to obtain that, then I think the way to go is to permit a more federal approach so states can make their own decisions within the framework of the federal law. It's good he sees the writing on the wall, but God, what a nerd for being like, well, actually, marijuana should still be illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck him. Barr also discussed the Mueller report with senators. He raised eyebrows when he said that the investigation of Trump's campaign may have been improper. Barr did not call it a witch hunt, but he was just asking questions. Quote, I think spying did occur. The question is whether it was adequately predicated. And I'm not suggesting that it wasn't adequately predicated, but I need to explore that. He also added, I am not saying that improper surveillance occurred. I am saying I'm concerned about it and looking into it. I know this is going to cause a lot of liberals to freak out about what Barr said. Yeah. I've already seen them freaking out. But let's just kind of remove who we're talking about here, the Trump administration and Republicans. Would anybody have, would anybody be at all surprised by a charge that the FBI might have engaged in improper surveillance of a target or anything? I don't think so. No, obviously not. But uh, even uh, setting aside P-tape fantasies, you do have uh, Trump on stage being like, Russia, can you uh, please release those emails that Hillary Clinton, those Hillary Clinton emails and... Maybe you could write that off as a joke, but... (laughs) He was pretty clearly joking, but I I, I do, yeah. I mean, that is kind of the go-to thing that the Russia Gators point to, but it's pretty obviously a joke. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Let's just move on. Moving on. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was on Capitol Hill testifying before a House committee. She was grilled for neglecting to provide debt relief to defrauded students. According to data released by the department last week, there have been zero, zero borrower defense claims approved. 
Under a rule implemented during the Obama administration, students who attended private school, for-profit schools that were found to be engaged in fraud, they're entitled to debt relief. Well, they're applying for that debt relief right now, and they're being ignored by DeVos's education department. In fact, there are more than 150,000 pending claims from students. And there was a court order last October ordering DeVos and the education department to comply with this rule to ensure that students are getting their debt relief that they're entitled to. Now, here's an interesting thing picked up during questioning by Congressman Mark Takano. Although the department hasn't approved or denied borrower defense claims, it has closed out more than 3,200 claims as a result of the school being closed, in which case the federal government foots the bill for the debt relief, not the school, because the school is closed. Now, if the school is still open, though, and the claim is approved, then the school has to pay for the loan forgiveness. So here's Takano wondering why so many applications have been closed, but none have been approved. I'm reclaiming my time, reclaiming the time. The answer is that the that the taxpayers are, when the school is closed, the taxpayers are liable for that unpaid loan. Uh, however, school is still open. The department has the ability to begin processing the recovering, uh, recovering the recompense from these schools. Knowing this, a reasonable and prudent person might posit the idea that your department may have the perverse incentive to intentionally delay implementation of the borrower defense rule to protect the financial interests of these for-profit institutions and their investors. I think he might be onto something there. And before, uh, during that questioning, he kept asking DeVos whether or not she, uh, her political appointees at the education department have given specific instructions to career officials to cherry pick uh, applications to be closed out rather than approved uh, and kept reminding her that she's under oath when she gives her answer on this. She refused to answer, but sounds like Takano might have a whistleblower or some documents revealing uh, what could be illegal activity at the education department to give backdoor bailouts to for-profit colleges at the expense of defrauded students. Something to keep an eye on. That'll do it for the newscast today. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. If you like this newscast and want to catch it four days a week, Monday through Thursday, consider subscribing at patreon.com slash district sentinel five bucks a month you get access to all sorts of bonus content plus you get your own haiku written by one of the two sams and read on air thanks to our sponsors the congressional dish podcast hosted by jen briney find it at congressionaldish.com another sponsor the middle east report find it at merip.org the newscast is back tomorrow for subscribers we're here in dc so you don't have to be